um, that is leading us where we are going and that is holding us where we are. And so as we come to God's word this morning, I just pray that you would open yourself to truly and authentically receive. Before we put on all the answers or what we should hear or want to hear, I just pray that we would receive maybe one word, one phrase that God and God's spirit has for you this day. And so together, let us open our mind, our body, our heart, and our soul to hear God's word for us this morning. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from 1 John chapter 3. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called to be children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously. Because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him. And in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. All who indulge in a sinful life are dangerously lawless. For sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in him, and sin is not part of his program. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. So, my dear, dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right, who is right. Just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, John. Friends, let's pray together. Loving God, as we approach your table this morning. We don't come simply, but we come to be reminded who we are. From where we come from, for how you have crafted and knit and brought us together, both as individuals, as community and God, we come to know where you are leading us in this world. Because in so many ways, we don't see it. In so many ways, we don't feel it. But today, as we come to your story, we ask that you would teach us to see. To see with the eyes of love the way in which you see. And we pray that you would help us to act. To move. To live, to breathe. As love embodied in this world as Christ did. Shape us, O oh God, to be more and more like him. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, one of my um, 
favorite activities to do is um, when I go to the ocean is to jump in the water as quick as I can. And I'm not good at surfing. Actually, I've only kind of tried it once, but I'm not really good at balancing on things very well. But what I love to do is try to catch the wave and just feel that something else is carrying you, is pulling you in the way that you want to go. And as we come to this season in our church's life, we come to a moment that is called the Easter tide. It's this moment of something pulling us towards a place that we are called to be. That Easter is not just a, a moment, a one day in history, a, some, a historical fact in which we need to prove with all of the ways that we can say this is how we know Easter happened. But Easter is a moment that makes us change the way in which we live the rest of our life. It is carrying us towards a resurrected life and it affects us here and now. And so in this Eastertide season, we are trying to ask the question, how do we live in and with this resurrection as a body and in our body? Or as the poet Wendell Berry says, how do we practice resurrection? What does it look like to literally practice it in our everyday lives, in our Monday worship? Well, the letter of 1 John, one of the last disciples who is writing to the church, we don't know exactly why he's writing to them or what's going on in the community, but we hear these kind of last words of this beloved disciple trying to live out this question. What does it mean to live out as a people of resurrection? How do we express it in our life? And so he writes these words. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are called children of God, and that's who we really are. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. The Greek word here, the what, is kind of an interesting one. This what marvelous love. It literally means like, what country are you from? What place does this come from? And so when John says, what marvelous love, he's saying, where is this coming from? This extravagant, amazing, marvelous love of the Father that is coming to us, to me, to this community. Where can this love be coming from? It seems distant from the place in which we live. It is from another country, another place, and it is showing up for us here and now? You know, we talk so much about the love of God, but I wonder if we actually pause to believe in it. What is this marvelous, amazing love? This love that we have been born from. This love that we are created with this love that we are called to. What is this love and is it real in your life? 
this resurrected love, can you taste it? Can you see it? Can you dare to believe it in such a way that it is the core of who you are and who we are as children of God? As Richard Rohr writes, the most powerful, most needed, and most essential teaching is always love. Love is our foundation and our destiny. It is where we come from and where we are headed. Love is who we are. And when we don't live according to love, we are living outside of our being. You're basically not your real and true self. When you love, you are acting according to your deepest being, your deepest truth. Are you operating according to this dignity from which you have been born from? What marvelous love has been extended to us from God? Now, I'm afraid that to talk about this marvelous love that has been extended to us will just feel like, yeah, we know it. What's the next point? Yeah, of course, God loves us. He's supposed to love us. But I can tell you that no matter where you are in your life, whatever you're carrying today, God, it feels heavy to me this morning. It's probably my own story. It's probably seeing all your faces and missing you. But the one thing I know is at the core of all of that is the question, do I believe in this foreign, marvelous love that has shown up for me and for us and for our world here today? Can I find hope in it? Can I trust in it? Can I believe that it is for me, that it labels who I am as a child of God? John is prophetically saying, this love is where you are from. It is the marvelous love of God, which you are called to embrace and which defines who you are. With your life, this short life that we all have with your life, the first and central question that you have to answer and only you can answer is who am I? Who are you? What is your truest identity? What is the deepest part of who you are? What is the foundation to your being? What message and story do you carry? Only you can answer that. Who am I? To that, the Apostle John says, I am a beloved child of a loving God. And if we allow that to be true for us and for our community, that places us hidden in Christ. And from that place, everything begins to flow. Yet I think we're too, too scared to often believe this identity which we have been given through Christ. In my work as a spiritual director, I have noticed over the years that everything hinges on this question. Who am I and am I lovable? Was I created from love? Am I created in love, with love, and to love? And when we allow ourselves to soak in that truth, which has been given to us in the word today, when we begin to soak it into our very bones, into every section of our DNA, it begins to 
open up the way in which we live. The way in which we understand sin and when we're not living into the life of love that we have been created for. The way in which we see our neighbors, those who are both kind to us and those who feel like enemies. Everything hinges on our deep meditation of this truth. What marvelous love has been extended to us that we are called children of God. And when we can answer the question, who am I? We begin to ask the question, who is our neighbor? What is the identity of my brother, my sister, and my sibling? What is the identity of the one who is standing next to me, who is suffering? What is the identity of those who are holding so much? And when we understand this truth for us, we begin to see that it is also true for our brothers and sisters and our siblings. What marvelous love that has come from far away to meet us here and now. The passage goes on, but friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? If our beginning is of as beloved children of a loving God, the teacher asks, if that's our starting point, then where are we going? Although we always will be children of God, this passage is also helping us understand we are called towards maturity, towards a place of spiritual, emotional maturity. To not just stay in this child space, but to actually grow into the love in which we have been created from. Who knows how we'll end up as we walk this journey with Christ, as we walk this journey with embodied love. I spent some time with some friends who are much older and wiser than I am. And we did this spiritual exercise where um, we closed our eyes and we imagined that Jesus was sitting on this rock and was alone and inviting us over. And we would go over to Jesus and sit next to him. And then he wanted to say something to us. And so we would kind of lean our ear and just hear what he had to say for us specifically. Now, these older and wiser friends of mine um, had been following this Jesus for a long time. And as we shared about our experience, we shared about the ways that Jesus intimately um, showed up to us. And one of the things that I noticed for me and I was curious about for them was at this stage in my life, did I realize that I was actually maybe older than Jesus, like age wise older than Jesus? To sit next to him, I, you know, for me at that point, you know, I would have been about seven years older than him. Now, I'm not trying to say that eight with age always comes maturity. I'm not trying to say with age that we know more about Jesus. But in some ways, I think it's important to, to not always just stay just in a place with Jesus where we just stay in a child space. We're called to grow up with Christ as well. We will always be God's children. We will always be encouraged to childlikeness, but we are also called to mature. And so what does it look like, I ask, to those who are actually like twice Jesus's age? What does it look like to 
at times maybe walks shoulder to shoulder with him as the disciples did on the road to Emmaus. What does it mean to not just come to Jesus and, and come in our shameful crouched position and just say, I am so small and you are so big, but to come and say, I want to grow. I want to be like you. I want to represent in my body and myself who you are to this world. Friends, we have to grow up. We have to mature. Now, I'm not saying mature is boring. And this is where kids often get it right. But we can't just stay in the space where we're hoping God just will always provide when we need it and what we need. We've got to grow up in a way in which we realize that God is providing for us through us. And God is using us to provide for this world, to care for others. We have to grow up as individuals, and we have to grow up as a local body of Christ. Maturity in Christ doesn't mean just gathering more information about God and having our some systematic theology straight. No, maturity in Christ, we see in this passage, is a work of holy seeing and acting. The passage goes on, what we know is when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him. And in seeing him, become like him. In seeing him, become like him. Where are you seeing Christ in our world and in your life here and now? And are you taking the steps it looks like to become like that love you are seeing in this world. Spiritual, spiritual maturity I'm learning is a work of sacred seeing with the eye of God. It is seeing Christ for who he really is. It is seeing ourselves and believing who we really are. It is seeing the marginalized as God sees them. It is seeing the power and the oppression as Christ saw it. It is seeing hope amidst the despair. It is refusing to look away from the pain and the death and the suffering of many and seeing life and love. It is seeing dignity and the belovedness of all. To see as Christ sees means that we saw the women who are overlooked in our world. It means that we see the sick who often went untouched. It means seeing the different tribes and not turning them into others, but turning them into neighbors. It is seeing the ugly corruption of our religious systems that we are part of and at times myself leading. It is seeing the children in our world who are being sidelined. It is seeing those who have been called evil, who have been called enemies and seeing the pain and the hurt and the trauma that they are holding as well. It is a sacred and holy scene that leads us into the maturity, that leads us to become like God in this world. What are you seeing with your eyes, child of God? Who knows what will we become if we set our gaze upon the person in the way of Christ and we begin to see the world as he sees, not just as individuals, but as a community? Who knows what we will become? But it is not just seeing, it is acting. As the 
passage finishes, none of those who practice sin, the opposite of love, have taken a good look at Christ. I've got him, we've got him all backwards. Gosh, do we have Christ backwards sometimes in our religious world? I don't know how we did it. I don't know how I did it, but man, do I see him backwards. To see him as he is. So not only do we see, but it's the person who acts right, who is right, just as we see it lived out in the righteous Messiah. Maturity is both seeing and acting. I had a good friend who talked about getting on an airplane once and he was, he was um, sitting there and um, someone next to him, this, this lady was having a hard time putting her bag up on the um, upper shelf. And there was two guys who saw her kind of struggling to do it. And they kind of saw her seeing her struggle. And it was the other guy, not my friend, who got up and acted and helped her put the bag away. Now I use that simple exact example to remind us that it is two actions. It is a movement of seeing, and it's a movement of acting. Acting doesn't mean we know all the answers. Acting doesn't mean we have it all together. Acting just means trusting the holy seeing that God has in us through his spirit and moving with our bodies and acting in a way in which this world. So as beloved children of God, where are we being called to action? Not out of guilt or shame, but out of the amazing love which we have been created from and for. Where are we being called to act? I have a lot of hopes and dreams and visions, and I share those with our leaders in this church of where God is calling us to be, where we may be being led to. And I'll tell you what, it is scary. It's hard to change. It's hard to hope with the church right now, not our church, but the church in general. It's hard to show up again, wondering, am I just going to get hurt? But I believe in our scene. I believe in our heart for acting after seeing the way in which this community has responded to all the ways we've from food drives to the Getty Project, to Hope Chest, to loving one another. And I know we're not doing it perfectly, but I have hope who Christ is shaping us to be. It is scary, courageous work. But together as the body of Christ, we can reimagine and move into the life we are called, into the hope in which Christ has set before us. So children of God, may you know who you are and find hope in Christ and where we will end up. But before we get there, may here and now we see and act in such a way that we would look like Christ which is love embodied for all creation. Let's pray. Loving God, we can't even fathom the love in which you have met us with. 
teach us to ground our whole being in that love and to live out of that space within our world. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for giving us a vision of who we are called to be that is bigger than we could do alone, but that we must join together as one body and love as you have loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.